Welcome to Obsessed with Design, a show about what makes designers tick. I'm your host, Josh Miles. Today on Obsessed with Design, we have a special second conversation with one of our most popular past guests, Douglas Davis. Douglas is the author of Creative Strategy in the Business of Design. He's a digital marketer, freelance art director, and creative director, and advertising and design educator. Douglas and I talk about his new video series and the role fear plays in the creative process. So without further ado, please enjoy my second conversation with Douglas Davis. Okay, guys, welcome back all the way from Brooklyn, New York, Douglas Davis. Douglas, thanks for being on Obsessed with Design. Thank you so much, Josh. I really appreciate just being here, obsessed and everybody listening. What's up? What's up from Brooklyn? (laughs) So you and I were originally introduced by the good people at How who published your book. And a few weeks ago, you hit me up and said, man, we got to talk again. So I always appreciate um, reconnecting with our past guests and especially when they reach out to me. So that was that was very cool. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. And thanks for having time. I appreciate you being being open to this new conversation. Yeah. So catch us up a little bit. How How is it going with the book and how do you think the book has aided in sort of the awareness of, of who you are and what you do? So the book is going really well. And, and I think that th- I've been surprised, truthfully, about all of the messages that I get, whether it be mm-hmm. via Twitter or whether someone messages me on Facebook. Um, I've been really humbled with so many messages of people talking about how the content either confirmed what they were going through in terms of uh, clients asking for you know more than just creative content and really starting to ask for strategic context and therefore it confirming what they suspected that the design field and what you need to participate in design had just you know gotten larger or expanded to include a knowledge of business. Uh, or whether people are just flat out telling me that, you know, the the content in the book or some sort of story in the book about how I handled a situation um, helped them to revolutionize the way that they interact with clients. That is far and above what I thought would be the response to what I knew was important, but what I had no idea about how much it would resonate. So it's been awesome. I have been creating little promos um, because it's a very different transition, Josh, whenever you go from creating things for other people and solving problems, like that's the area that a lot of us are used to, Yeah. to talking about what you wrote or Mm -hmm. to, you know, being someone who has something like a product to talk about. So it's it's been really interesting. <laughs> Is that weird for you? Like talking about your own thoughts? Actually, yeah, because and and it started out by I guess the introduction to how different this was going to be was when uh, I had submitted my manuscript and I realized that I was the client who was going to have to work with the designer on the design of my cover and <laughs> you know, I knew like oh my gosh, like I'm going to have to tell myself that I can't be obsessed I can't, you know, be the designer. I have to be the author. I have to deal with the words and have a say in what the interior of the book and the design is going to look like. But I had to realize that, you know, you take a different role whenever you come up with these ideas um, Mm -hmm. and you test them and you put them out into the world. And so it was very different, but, um, and I'm still getting used to it. But what I realized is that I did want to use my skills to promote the book in a different way, to talk about the relevance and what the content was. Mm-hmm. So I started to do little promos that promoted the, the individual chapters in the book instead of the overall book. Because it's one thing to say, hey, buy my book. And you're like, hey, what is it about? And you're like, oh my gosh, there's like 15 chapters. So it's a lot easier to come up with a bit of a book promo that deals with the content in a chapter that's in your book. And so I've been doing my best to market 
the content and its relevance to working designers who are trying to integrate strategy into their uh, creative process. You know, I've been trying to talk to them about what's in the book through these little promos. So is it weird for you to be, you know, marketing and promoting stuff that you've written and really kind of promoting how you think? It is because you have to, just like I was saying with the book, you go from being the designer who's usually the person making the decisions on details to the writer who has to then take a different role to make sure that the quality of what you're saying in the words communicates and then handing off or trusting really someone else to do what it looks like, uh, even though that's normally your role. So it's the same sort of thing to go from uh, creating or solving a problem for someone else to being the person who has a product that they need to talk about or an idea that they need to express in a completely different format. Like, So I'm not designing something, even though there is a deck uh, when I go to speak at different conferences. But what people are coming for is something very different. What they're paying to, to have access to is something different than the designed product that I'm used to uh, giving clients. So it definitely takes a lot of getting used to. Do you find yourself like taking your own advice? Are you like, hey, think how they think and do it and do what we do? Like, are you telling <laughs> yeah. yourself that as you're building out these, these self-promotional things? I am because I, first of all, I drink my own Kool-Aid in terms of I want to make sure that what I'm saying to other people has value beyond me, but I have to first test that it does have value in the first place. So I think I'm really conscious and aware of other people's time and just making sure that I am actually helping um, and so I, I really try to test my own ideas and I try to make sure that what I'm saying is going to add value um, to someone outside of myself. But yes, I try to make sure that if, if it's something that I'm communicating that's supposed to help other people, I want to make sure that it is, hey, you know, I tried this and it worked in this way for me. And it might not work in that same way for you, but I do believe that it could have value if you look at these principles um, because I don't want to just be, you know, talking just to talk that makes sense well i think that's the ultimate validation if you know you write this down and then you're like you know what i i read this and i did it myself and <laughs> this stuff actually works this is this is really effective yeah it it really is i guess when i look at the metric of you know this is what i think and and i always start out a lot of my talks with saying i don't know the right answer but i know what i think because i do believe that our clients come to us with various forms of the exact same question or exact same ask, which is solve my problem. Tell me what to do. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I do try and make sure that I'm, I'm offering that value. But really what I love, and again, I, I mentioned this earlier, is that it really is humbling whenever you had an idea and you put it out into the world and someone tries it and they they tell you what the results were for them. That, in, in terms of what I've been able to get out of writing articles and writing about design and writing about strategy and how to integrate strategy into your creative process, that's been the ultimate validation for me. When someone in England or in Egypt or on the West Coast or, you know, at different you know, different places in Canada and all the places that I, I speak in Russia. Um, when they come to me and they email me and they say, hey, we tried this one thing that you talked about in your book, and that's, that's given us a, a second wind with our clients, or that's changed the way that we interact with our clients, or that's revolutionized the way that we go to our clients, or the way that we can add value to our clients, that, like, that's pretty amazing. And, and it's beyond my wildest dreams. Well, I think, um, first of all, if any listeners have not listened to our first conversation, I think it was like episode 33 or something, go back and check that out because Douglas takes the time to tell us about that 
talk he did in Russia, which is an awesome story. So, um, <laughs> so maybe a different kind of impact it's than what you're expecting, but but it's also just an awesome Absolutely. story. But you know, impact is one of my favorite words. But maybe to spin that a little differently, that word. Um, I love the original promo video you did for the book about how to take a punch in the face. Yeah. Which brings us to all of your new videos. So tell us about what, what kind of lit the fire for you to dive back into the, the video promos. Absolutely. Well, you know, once your book has been out for a little bit of time, and in my case, it was, it's been out for a year and a half, so mm-hmm. not quite a long time, but um, you know, if you've, if you've either written a book or if you've been involved, if any of your listeners have been involved with publishing, you might know that your publisher does help you with a few things, but in order to make sure that you're getting a message out there, um, you have to do that yourself. So I started with, as you mentioned, uh, a little video that I did on chapter 13, which is called How to Take a Punch in the Face, Seven Tips for Surviving as a Creative. And just the idea with that being that, you know, I need to make sure that people know what the content is in the book so that they can see how to to get value from it. And I also wanted to lose some weight. I had some goals on my own mm-hmm. uh, since I would be in, in front of the camera a bit more, um, but also just some weight goals. I figured, hey, you know, I'm getting to a certain age where metabolism, <laughs> you can't just eat candy bars and, you know, and, and fried food all the time. And, but I hear Taco Bell is bringing us nacho fries. What, what are we supposed to do about that? <laughs> exactly. It's oh, so difficult. <laughs> and you got to have real willpower. But yeah, I, I started working with a trainer and I realized like, oh my gosh, like I'm going to die during these workouts. But there were boxing workouts. And so I thought, hey, you know, why don't I create a bit of a, a, a promo for that chapter 13? Uh, and talk about how to take a punch in the face and just show how out of breath I am and how difficult this is. Yeah. As long as I'm going to die, I might as well make a video out of it. <laughs> yeah. I might as well make a video and talk about this chapter in my book. So that went really well. And I thought, hey, you know, it's potentially time to do something else. The book has been out for a year and a half. So I thought Dragon Slaying, you know, is chapter 14, mm-hmm. how to successfully manage fear. And I had to think about what I was afraid of. And this might be a bit of a surprise to somebody who's written a book and who, who speaks a lot, but I wasn't really afraid of the amount of people who I speak in front of at these conferences because, you know, when you've been designing for 20 years at this point and people are paying $2,000 at different conferences a ticket to come in and hear what you have to say. And sometimes I think the largest audience in 2012 was about uh, 697 people. That doesn't intimidate me. But what really, really makes me afraid is standing up and memorizing something and maybe delivering it in front of an audience that is there to be entertained. And so I decided that I would try to spice up my strategy presentations by taking a stand-up comedy class. I don't know where this crazy idea came from. (laughs) It was crazy. Like insane. So I signed up for this class at Gotham Writers Workshop, and the last class, they call it a graduation class, Mm -hmm. is an actual comedy set at an actual New York City comedy club. Oh, man. Now, I missed the first class because I was traveling. So I come in to this class, and this this professor, Dave LaBarca, stand-up comedy writer and performer for many years, um, he started talking about our, our graduation show our, at the comedy club. And I was like, wait, what, what's happening? And I was scared to death, Josh. <laughs> but I was exhilarated, but I was terrified. And so I figured, you know, what better way to actually write a chapter? Like, how do you stand behind successfully managing fear? Like, what other way are you going to write a chapter in a book about dragon slaying if you are not also slaying your own dragons. And this goes back to what we talked about before, about you know drinking your own Kool-Aid or, or taking your own advice. And so I figured, hey, I should make a video out of it. And I was petrified, Josh. And again, it's, it's really about, for me, the fear is not about 
presenting in front of people. It's about memorizing something and Mm -hmm. delivering that performance. That scares me to death. And so I was able to document the whole process. And that's where the concept for Slay came from. It's a visual essay about successfully managing fear. Um, It was shot and edited by my former student long time ago and now just amazing cinematographer. He's killing it, uh, Clifford Harry. But it's really, the concept is, is really just looking at the fact that everybody faces doubt or fear or excuses. Mm-hmm. But I think for us as creative people, we have to fight them to unleash the creativity that's inside of us. And so fear is a dragon that won't shut up. And it really only gives us one choice, and which is to silence it. We have to slay that dragon. So this is this essay, uh, this promo, it illustrates that struggle to push past the fear that hinders our creativity. And it's inspired from the content in chapter 14 of my book, Creative Strategy in the Business of Design. And I really hope that anybody listening, if, if there are goals that you are looking at um, reaching and those goals in this new year really are ones that you've run up against fear or doubt. Uh, I really hope that it inspires you to, to successfully fight that fear, slay that dragon in this new year. And you can see it at thinkhowtheythink.com. All right. You want to go, go deeper on this one with me? Yeah, let's do it. This is your take, right? This is what, what does Douglas Davis think about this? Yeah. What is fear? Wow. Um, <laughs> that is deeper. I really think <laughs> the, the thing about fear is that it is specific to whatever it is that you individually are afraid of. So for instance, you know, some people are afraid of, of water or swimming because they had some sort of situation. Hey, I told you we weren't going to talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) Some, some people wink, wink. Yeah. And I didn't mention your name because I didn't want people to see you differently. Um, But yeah, (laughs) but some people, but you know, these are the things that are really easy to sort of put a finger on and then say, Hey, you know, the reason that that is something that I shy away from is because I had a bad experience. But there are things that if we're talking about fear in the context of creative people, I think we could also define it as insecurities. We could define it as, Mm, you know, doubt. We can define it as discouragement. You know, a lot of us as creators, we're into a lot of things before we figure out what we're really into. And I think that that's really important to to sample things, to try uh, things, because I think a, a big, very important part of creativity has to do with experimentation. And, and that's where failing comes in. But I think that as a result of seeing failure different, I think you have to see fear different because these things that we're afraid of, I personally believe, and this is what I try to not only say to my students, but it's also something that I try to demonstrate in my own life. But I, I want to make sure that the things that I'm afraid of or the things that I hate or the things that I love, like I have to listen to myself and pay attention to myself as a creative person because those same emotions that basically enable me to offer creative solutions to clients and, and do things with creativity, with our craft that has not have not been done before, um, original solutions, that same fear, those same emotions can hinder us whenever it's time for us to go into a conference room full of people who we don't know as clients. And we're supposed to then bear our souls and risk getting the work mm-hmm. killed. I mean, ev- all of us have had that happen. And so I think fear and just what we have to push past to do our jobs as creative people is is a really important topic but it includes the conversation on experimentation mm-hmm. it includes the conversation on failure and having multiple outlets uh in order to get really really good at what it is that we love to do in terms of creativity so fear i think we have to that's an individual question and I think it really is important for us to decide to find the fear and to 
decide to put ourselves into uncomfortable situations Hmm. because that's where growth is. That's good. So that, I mean, I was kind of thinking as you're talking through this, like everybody experiences fear at some level, whether they, whether it's pronounced in the creative process or not, but so assuming it, it is an okay thing to experience. All of us, all of us. What do you think is like the healthy way to deal with it as a creative? Well, the healthy way is you can bungee <laughs> jump. Uh, you can, you know, I, I think, you know, you, you can, you can ride roller coasters. I mean, I think what the healthy way is to, to face it um, because the unhealthy way is, and I've seen this, if, if I can speak about it in the context of like a young designer, someone who's learning the craft, if you really just, you know, go back to when you were in school or if you are around young designers now, sometimes when you look at someone's work, you can tell that the limitations in their skills dictated the creative solution. Sure. And when I see that, I, I always do my best, whether it's a professional freelancer or whether it's a student, I do my best to have some more time for that person to really sit down and communicate the fact that they can't let the fear bully them. They can't let their limitations dictate what the solution is because that that's not what we should be allowing because that's not really the solution that we intended. And if design is deliberate intent, Mm -hmm. then that's not a deliberate intent. That's, Hey, you know, I thought this was the solution. I attempted that, but there's a lesser version here because my skills wouldn't allow me to realize the vision. And so I think it's going to be really important for us as creatives to in a healthy way, decide that we're going to put ourselves in situations that would challenge our skills. So again, as I mentioned, for me, it was recognizing that I am death scared of standing in front of people and performing, even though that's exactly what we do when we present at conferences. That's exactly what we do whenever we walk into the boardroom and we have this new idea that we have to then articulate what the insight was, what is the concept, what is the execution, what is the strategy, um, what, are, what are our recommendations. So I think the healthy way is to find transferable ways to put ourselves into a situation where we have no choice but to grow. Um, and it is terrifying. Uh, I, I've Now at this point, I've only been on stage all of maybe, what, 15 minutes because... Mm-hmm. You uh, in comedy write a tight five minutes, and um, you're timed, and you're under all this pressure, and that's why, you know, I think for me and kids don't do drugs, but I really thought that oh my gosh, my time experimenting really it damaged my hard drive. You know, my time smoking a little bit of weed has damaged my ability to write something and remember it, and I'm going to in front of all these people look like a complete and total idiot, but. The best part about that is that, Josh, I didn't have to put myself in a situation. Mm-hmm. And it also helped me edit better. It's helped me to write better. It's helped me to recognize insights and to then like explore those insights in a more creative way and in a more pronounced way. So I can't tell you how many transferable skills and how many things putting myself, deciding to go into the fear, deciding to head on, you know, put myself in a situation that I did not have to be in. I can't tell you how much it's helped me. And I'm still learning. I'm still afraid mm-hmm. when I go on that stage sometimes. And I, I think that that's healthy. That's the healthy way to deal with fear is to actually deal with it. So when you're... Um when you slay the dragon, it's, it's not like a one-time thing, right? Like, yeah, it's not. The dragon's going to come back. Or another dragon pops up. So at that point, it's like whack-a-mole dragon, yeah. you know, where you actually get to a point where I, I believe that practice makes presentable. I think a lot of times we create our own problems um, because of the fact that as creative people, we want to be perfect or we're perfection, perfectionist. 
and I, and I don't believe in being a perfectionist. I'm not the best at anything, but I can try. And, and practice, through practice, it makes things presentable. Um, and so I think either you will make something that was a dragon not necessarily like so intimidating anymore mm-hmm. by deciding to, you know, uh, practice it and, and, and just get better at it, or you'll discover new fears. And again, you know, you've, you've been doing this for a while. I've been doing this for a while. And some of the people on this, uh, listening to this may have been, you know, designing for a while, but there was a time whenever we were, you know, people who had not done this, who were not so confident. And I remember a couple stories that were early in my career. Um, and this is something that sort of dovetails into what's going on in society with the Me Too movement and, you know, society changing to, you know, make sure that we're not tolerating violence against women or, or sexual assault or things like that. But I think as a design community, we have to be honest with ourselves about the ways in which young designers or the ways in which creative directors sometimes scream at young employees of theirs. You know, I think that that is the equivalent of our Me Too movement, where someone who is is really great at creating solutions for clients is promoted, but they're not necessarily the best manager, or they're not necessarily the best creative leader who is there and has the skills to nurture someone else who might not be as confident. And so I, you know, we've all have, we've all had stories of being yelled at by the art director or the creative director. And I think, you know, we've been, we've been in those situations where we weren't as confident. And I think that our field has to look at and reckon with what I would argue would be our me too. Um, our, the equivalent of, of the abuse that sort of goes on in, you know, creative firms where the culture is that this is the creative genius. And as a result, you know, that person yells and people tolerate it. I've been in that situation. Um, but over time through practice, I realized that, you know, I remember being at a firm and, you know, this, this art director started yelling at me for some things that i didn't necessarily believe were uh, justified. Mm-hmm. And so I said, hey, you know, first of all, this is my last day. Second, now we can talk about what I came in here to talk about. And that only happened through practice. That only happened through me becoming confident with understanding that this is not the only opportunity that I'll have. And I don't have to be here being yelled at. And so I think that's where through practice, we can make things presentable and we can gain the confidence to deal with these internal dragons, whether it's self-doubt, whether it's, you know, just a lack of experience and not knowing that it's not necessarily going to be solved on the first try or the first 10 tries and building the resilience that I think it takes to exist in the field. That's why that first video was called How to Take a Punch in the Face, you know, because sometimes when when your work is killed, you know, that's how it feels. But that's why I wanted to not only deal with integrating strategy into the creative process, but I think it's really, really important for us to have a conversation about our emotions and how managing that fear or managing those emotions has implications on how well we're going to be able to do our jobs or if we're going to be able to do our jobs and the environments that we do our jobs in, because those things end up creating the fear sometimes. Uh, One last story. I remember being at Condé Nast as a young designer um, after the dot-com recession in New York. There was about a year and nine-month gap that, you know, I was eating lunch in the park and and freelancing and just working at the Gap folding sweaters as well. But I remember being called in for my first job after the economy came back. And I was getting a tour around four times square, you know, the famous, you know, Condé Nast building. It was amazing, you know, Frank Gehry cafeteria and all. And so, you know, someone's showing about a group of about four of us around and they're like, okay, so that's where accounting sits. And this is the editorial group and this is this group. And then all of a sudden, uh, maybe about 30 feet in this open office in New York City on like maybe the 17th floor, this lady stands up and she says, get out, you're fired. 
and she just in public in front of everybody fires this dude while we're on our tour. So naturally, as a young designer, I'm like, I'm going to get fired. I'm going to get fired. I'm going to get fired. I'm going to get fired today. I know I'm going to get fired. Like every day I walked into that building mm-hmm. thinking and feeling that because of that experience. And so I realized that, you know, over time, and again, the story that I told you about being able to stand up to uh, someone yelling and screaming only happened after a certain amount of time. And I think that as designers, we have to deal with the creative environments that we're also in and our emotions that are uh, just inherent in being creative people because sometimes they help us, obviously, to create the work. But other times they're our worst enemy when we walk into a, a conference room and we don't have the words to talk about what we've done and the work gets killed as a result because we can't defend it or whether we walk into a hostile situation and you know, as a result of being at work, you know, you're battling these forces that are not conducive to creativity. So all of that is in the book. And I tried to do my best to make sure that I could um, highlight some of those experiences that people don't necessarily talk about in these two chapters. Well, I think the underlying theme for me on the book is, is really all about creating trust through understanding and speaking the language of business. So as a creative person, being able to come in there and yeah. understand the words that they use and understand what they mean by that and and then how to use them. Absolutely. Right. Because all of that either creates a situation where someone doesn't trust you as the client or the business person because they see us as these creative people with a bunch of tattoos who's kicking the soccer ball, it, you know, when we should be doing real work. Mm-hmm. And again, we have to fight through a lot of that. Think about some of the people who are in our field who had to basically go against the advice of their own parents. Right. We're trying to help them, by the way, but who want to make sure that they're taken care of so bad that they will suggest to them things that they can understand for a profession versus, mm-hmm. you know, encouraging them to do what they love and, and become an artist. But again, we have to push past all of that stuff in order to do what we do. And there's so many obstacles in our way. And so, yeah, like we come to this work as creatives, you know, with a lot of baggage sometimes and, Um, you know, just speaking the same language is a part of that, but all of these things create fear. And there's a lot of the internal and the external dialogue of either people who told you you couldn't do it, or whether you're doubting yourself that you can do it, or imposter syndrome, or the thing that your mom said that one time, uh, or like some creative director who is yelling at you versus, you know, being able to see where you're at and and articulate to you what is needed versus just taking the easy way out and, you know, trying to motivate through fear because that's not, I don't think fear is a motivator. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I really don't believe fear is a motivator. I think fear is something that is more traumatizing and then you can't really create. And I don't want this to be all like, you know, therapy, <laughs> time because I'm not a therapist, but I do know that how I feel inside and, you know, the environment that I'm creating in is either going to make me more creative and more productive or is going to, you know, throw up like, like stumbling blocks that's going to prevent my ability to produce. And I, and I really believe in being able to listen to ourselves and figuring out like what would, um, create the most conducive environment to coming up with ideas that our clients are counting on us for. So maybe to shift gears a little bit, when we were chatting a few weeks back about, hey, what are we going to talk about? You sent me a note and said, you said you've been reflecting on your need to have various creative outlets, uh, ones that aren't necessarily related to your primary profession. So yeah, you want to talk us through, through that idea a little bit? Absolutely. So this just continues with that theme of really listening to yourself. And just over my career, I've realized that I need like three primary outlets, I can call them. And and when I say an outlet, mm-hmm. I mean just like a, a, a place for your creativity, some way to produce, some way to make something. And that something in the way that I see it is the equivalent of like, it's it's kind of like water. 
water can exist in, you know, solid liquid or gas. And over time, I've just learned to listen to myself to figure Mm -hmm. out what conditions are the most conducive to my creative output. But that solid or that liquid or that gas is just in my head, creativity, and whether it's in the written form or whether it's conceptual ideas or whether it's uh, client service or just the artistic part of what we do, I need to have the artistic outlet, a strategic outlet, and a like a client service or a professional outlet. Like when I have all that stuff, when I have those areas to to create in or for mm-hmm. or to help other people in, um, then I I feel in balance at that point, and I'm able to explore areas that are outside of what I do primarily just like, you know, getting up on stage and slaying that dragon of fear that, that, that situation that I don't have to be in helps me in my day job, or it helps me to write an article where I'm talking to equip creative people uh, about some sort of concept uh, that includes business and how to incorporate that into their creative process. But even with all that, (laughs) my travel outlet, (laughs) uh, I, I need to drop it all and recharge by just indulging in my wanderlust about every six months. But again, all of these things I've just learned to pay attention to myself, like how I feel in certain situations, um, pay attention when I wasn't as productive as I know I can be, try to figure out why, um, really analyze the fear and decide to do something about it. But those examples are really, I think, about like listening to yourself. And I'm hoping that like people can take take the examples and figure out and sort of analyze themselves and figure out how they best function creatively. Cause that's what this is really about. What do you think's next for you? Is it, is it more writing, more speaking, more, more videos, more, all of that? Yeah, I think so. But I think my ultimate objective is to make sure that I can put out as much that would help equip creative people to have the conversations that I myself was really afraid to have, uh, whether it's with that client or whether it was with uh, someone on my team that is either working for me or that I'm working for or working with. If you're going to decide to strike out on your own and become more of a business person selling creativity, uh, I want to really help people with what they need and and. Just in my experience, that really is an education about business. That is an education about marketing objectives, communications objectives, strategy, insights, and how to turn those insights into executions. So I'm going to do my best to explore that in writing. But also, um, I love to teach and I love to help people, young creatives. I am an associate professor in Brooklyn at New York City College of Technology. City Tech is what they call it. We're the design program at the foot of the Brooklyn Bridge. And my goal is to help to increase the variety of voices that are in front of and behind the concept or the campaign or the marketing plan or the strategy. So my job and what what I feel like my purpose is, is to help diversify those voices, whether that means Diversity in all aspects, you know, because I feel like in order to help our clients, we have to have, uh, we have, we have to be from as many points of view or represent as many types of people, uh, as possible so that we can actually relate to what they need to understand what our clients are trying to say. So, yeah, I want to write, I want to find ways to, uh, help high school students or help young designers. I'm going to keep presenting at conferences to help professionals. I love to teach in a graduate program as well. I also teach at um, the Branding and Integrated Communications program at City College. It's, it's called the BIC program. And it's a master's in professional studies. And we get clients in and we we split the class up into communications like agencies or design firms. And they pitch like they're in a real uh, environment because the client has to actually pay to be a part of that. Nancy Tag is the program director there. So I just want to be involved with helping creative people do what we do, 
by thinking like creative people. So that's where the yeah. think how they think to do what we do comes in. That's awesome. I I think all of those, you know, I I've done a little adjunct faculty work back in the day and love to get back in the classroom at some point. But oh yeah, just the specific stuff that you're working on sounds pretty pretty amazing. It's fun, but definitely giving back, just like you, you know, to to put it in the same way you did. It really taught me. It refreshed me truthfully. You know, like it, there's a big toll that we we have taken on us as creative people. You know, there's there's a big responsibility to to uh, deliver what clients are expecting us to deliver on brand, on strategy, and on message. To do that, despite any delusion and all of the crazy sort of you know situations and not having mm-hmm. this the right content in the brief or having to do some detective work and you know come up with a better strategy because the one that we were giving doesn't doesn't work or having to write or rewrite something because we have to question the answers that our clients come to us with because they're giving us what they think is still the situation but yet the the environment shifted and what was right six months ago is the complete wrong direction to go into. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're going to be the only person as a creative to even assess that. And so it's, it's you know, being, being like in the classroom, it helped me to put all that down and help someone else to, to realize what their talents were and to utilize their talents and to open their ability to to do the work, but also to, to teach them the things that I wish I knew before I walked into the field, (laughs) you know, like things that you have to take a couple punches in the face, you know, they get burned by a few dragons to even learn, you know, it was great to bring all of that and to share it. Um, So giving back really refreshes me as well. So that's why that's one of my outlets that I had to protect. Frankly, I remember Mm -hmm. going to this back when I worked, at Tribal DDB, I was freelancing there and I would go to work and we were working on a vino or also Neutrogena. Uh, so I go to work, work from, you know, 10 till five, ask them to on Monday nights, leave at five o'clock, get on the train, go to Brooklyn, teach from six to eight thirty, and go right back to work in Manhattan and work until I don't know how long. Yeah, Like I had to protect that outlet. Because I knew that this is something that was not only important for me, um, but it was something that I needed because our work takes so much out of us. And that's why, mm-hmm. you know, that I really did want to have this conversation about outlets, about creative people deciding to, you know, explore other things that would allow us to deal with the fear that would allow us to then take that fearlessness back into the boardroom or back to our jobs where we're constantly being asked to produce and, and produce with less money or produce more items in less amount of time or mm-hmm. in, you know, in situations where we're skipping steps or we don't have what we need. And so we have to reverse engineer something. And like all of that really does end up utilize it, it burns up your energy. You know, and, and, and it's really difficult and, or you have a bad boss or you're being yelled at, like, there's all these different things that we have to fight past. And, and that's, that was really important to me because I realized that, you know, if you can find the things that keep you in balance, if you can find the outlets where you're making a difference and you're contributing, then it really does help to give you a level of resilience uh, whenever, you know, you're just zapped, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Do you think you'll, um, do you think you'll write another book? Good question. You know, someone asked me that and I, I honestly don't know because uh, I don't want to put something out that just to put something out. Mm-hmm. And so right now, what I think I'd like to do is to live a little more, fail a little more, um, to pitch and win a little more, lose a little more. To, to put myself in situations that I'm not sure that I can do and, and see what stories come out of that that I can then use to, I guess, as a, as a beginning to a conversation about, you know, something that has to do with design. Um, because I put literally every single story that I had at that time 
in the book. <laughs> right. And there's a lot of them because I realized that in order to articulate to the audience of creative people, I had to make sure that I was relating to the audience of creative people, showing that I too, you know, end up having a very difficult time in terms of listening to strategy or, you know, cause it's not for everybody. So I might write another book. I hope to write a lot of articles because when you can, you know, recognize something that's going on in the larger business space or in the, in the design world, and then write an article, it's a lot shorter process to publication. Mm-hmm. And so the ideas can, you know, get out a lot faster. So I do want to write and continue to write in terms of what form that comes out in. Uh, I'm not sure, but I definitely am listening whenever someone who has read the book um, emails me and there's an area that they communicate has really helped them. I ask that question all the time and um, I'm listening. You know, I was just thinking as you were saying that everybody knows the Simon Sinek book, uh, Start With Why, but yeah, he's he's got this awesome little follow-up book that's, I think it's called Better Together. And it's almost like a children's book you know, like mm-hmm. a couple of lines on a page and little illustrations. And, and it's not a children's book, but it's written in that style. And I could, I could totally see you doing a book that's just about the role of fear and the creative process. That's like in that children's book style. I think that'd be super cool. I think that could be really awesome. And, and I think uh, one of the areas that I'd like to explore in addition to maybe something that happens to be a follow-up book or whether it's, you know, some other type of format that the content exists in is maybe doing some videos that are not just the promos about what's in the chapter, but Mm -hmm. maybe working with some, you know, partner on bringing some of the content to life in videos. I'm definitely exploring that and I'm very interested in what that could look like. So yeah, you'll definitely see me out there. Nice. So I got to ask you my favorite question, even though we talked about this back in episode 33, but maybe, maybe your answer has changed. So what would you say that you are most obsessed with right now? I'm obsessed with seeing just how much I can do in terms of failing in as many possible ways possible so that I can learn as much as possible so that I can then figure out how to help somebody with that experience. So yeah, failure. I'm, I'm obsessed with failure. Okay. I'm curious if there are, um, just here recently, if there are any other speakers or thought leaders or books you've read or blogs that you've kind of dug into, any, any new avenues for inspiration that, that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah. I don't know whether these are new or not, but I've been definitely feeling what Christo is doing with his future podcast. I'm not sure whether you're familiar with him, um, but. Oh yeah. We had him on a couple months ago and that guy is a genius. I can, I could see how you hang out for sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely feeling uh, what he's doing and it's, it's kind of crazy how we met. We just met in Toronto at design thinkers. Gosh, I think it was, I can't remember. I think it was late uh, last year. Mm-hmm. But uh, one of my students had emailed me a video and she, uh, her name is Latoya Burris, and she emailed me. She was like, Professor, did you see that they're talking about your book? Mm. And uh, I was like, no. So I watched this video and there's this guy out in California and they're discussing the book. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. And I didn't realize how much of a following he had, but it was just really great. And so we, I, you know, had done a few more podcasts and it turns out that we were running in some of the same circles. We knew a lot of the same people. Yeah. And uh, we literally just met a couple months ago when we were speaking at the same conference. So I really appreciate what Chris has been doing and a lot of people who end up purchasing the book based on his recommendation, they, they've been wonderful just to engage with as people who helped me to know what was helpful about what I wrote. And that's just been great. So I love what Chris is doing. And I have discovered, I think it's called Applied Arts. 
and, and again, this this might not be new to some of your your listeners, but Applied Arts is doing some great things. It's a publication out of Canada, and I I, I would assume it is the Canadian version of uh, Communication Arts. Mm-hmm. But I, I love what their take is on the, the issues that design is dealing with right now and the people who they showcase. Uh, I love what they're doing. And lastly, I'm really into uh, the Harvard Business Review mm-hmm. um, because of the fact that as a creative person who wasn't taught business in design school, I love the education that I get from all of their articles where they're talking about leadership management. They're talking about entrepreneurship. They talk about strategy. Um, Sometimes very rarely they talk about design, but I I love what they're doing with their marketing case studies and things of that sort. I learned so much after I read those. Um, And so I, I I often get those alerts and, and I soak that stuff up. Awesome. When I'm not reading Fire and Fury. (laughs) (laughs) Just throw that one in too. It's so funny. (laughs) Nice. So um, before we let you go, tell us the name of the book again and where people can, uh, can track you down. So Creative Strategy and the Business of Design is the book that I wrote, uh, How Books Published It. And you can get it on Amazon or if there's a Barnes & Noble near you. And if you want to see what's inside of it, you can either search it on Amazon or you can go to my website at thinkhowtheythink.com. Excellent. Well, guys, if you haven't already, go back and check out episode 33 with our first conversation. Of course, check out that Christo interview as well. That one was also great. And uh, Douglas, it is always good catching up with you, sir. It is always good. I really appreciate it, Josh. And thanks so much to all your listeners. Yeah, keep being obsessed. (laughs) Well, thank you. And thank you for being obsessed with design. Okay, kids, that's show number 93 officially in the books. You can get all of today's show notes on our website at obsessedshow.com. And if you haven't already, while you're there, add your email address to our new newsletter. I'll update you on some of my new favorite things, new episodes, and cool stuff that I find in my daily obsessions. Twitter is one of my favorite ways to receive recommendations for new guests. So tweet at Obsessed Show, and I'm at Josh Miles. Let us know who you think we should interview next. Head over to iTunes and subscribe to Obsessed with Design. We'd love to have a rating and review to help others find the show. Obsessed with Design is a product of the Design Obsessed team at Miles Herndon, a branding agency in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. And our show is always edited by Jen Eds at the Brassy Broadcast Company. Visit BrassyBroad.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.